This Sam Mays Podcast Roadshow is brought to you by Pettit Insurance in Norman. Remember, you're always in good hands with Allstate. On the Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome. I'm Sam Mays, and today we have KOCO Sports Director, Mr. Brian Keating, his second time on the Sam Mays Podcast. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm great, Sam. Uh, it's good to be with you again. I know, you know, normally you have Heisman Trophy winners and those kinds of things on uh, on your show, so I'm happy to be on and be a part of it, man. Man, I, I love the, the fact that I can call you a friend, and, you know, obviously that we work in kind of the same, uh, you know, uh, uh, industry. I feel like getting your opinion, you know, after a season that's been different for both of us. Uh, you know, I sat in press boxes and covered uh, games this year with six feet of distance between me and the half yep. my colleagues weren't in the, in the room, including you, uh, you, right. you know, covered in a college football season from uh, the, a distance from the home, basically uh, because of your little boy who is about as cute as he can be. But you know, you're six <laughs> months, you're six months into that deal. Uh, and and yep. look, the last time we talked, Brian, we were trying to figure out how long this thing was going to last anyway, you know, how long we were even going to have football, uh, let alone complete a season and talk about a national champion. Yeah, man. Um, everything's been been strange and difficult, and um, you know, it was depressing for me to be in college football and not be at the game. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, what's your favorite thing to cover, and and I always say, you know, getting to cover Kevin and Russ um, for that run was unbelievable. But there's just nothing like a college football Saturday. There's just not, and you only get twelve of them, and. So to not be able to be around the fanfare and not have packed stadiums, you know, that was difficult. I know for fans and players and all that, but it was difficult for us too. And I commend you for being able to do that and go to games and, and those kinds of things. And we just made a decision early on that um, we were going to try to be as kind of safe as, as possible. And that was a, a station decision. And, you know, if we were going to tell people on TV that they need to be safe, then we were going to practice what we preach. And so it was tough. It, it provided some unique challenges. I think in some ways it provided us some opportunity to kind of look at ourselves and, and make some changes that, that might stay. But I'm happy that we got a college football season in. Um, it's kind of weird that it's over now because we talked so, so long. Of, well, are we, are we going to have it? Is it going right. to work? And, and now that it's over, you kind of look back at it. Pretty remarkable even, you know, there was going to be cancellations, but pretty remarkable that, that nothing very serious happened and that they, get, they got it in, and and uh, and here we can look back at it. Yeah, I know. It's pretty crazy when you consider, you know, last weekend Alabama takes on Ohio State for a national championship, uh, a national championship that I thought featured the number one and number two teams in college football. I'm, I'm pretty amazed that the committee was able to navigate the COVID-19 season uh, as well as they did, and I'd say that, 
I don't know that they navigated it well, but they did give us the two best teams in the country, I feel like. And we did find out who the best team in the country was with Nick Saban in Alabama winning his seventh national championship. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously, Alabama's the best team. I don't know if there's, there's no disagreement there. Um, you know, I disagree with you some about Ohio State. Um, I, I, I wasn't really in favor of Ohio State getting in because they played half a season. And I know they didn't lose a game, but they didn't play as many games. So, you know, we can disagree on, on those kinds of things. Oh, no. See, I, I I, I w- I'm with you. I wouldn't put them in either. But after watching them just dismantle yeah. Clemson, it's kind of hard to say that they weren't the second-best team in the country. No no question about that. Uh, deserving to be there and then proving their, their merit, I guess, are two different things. But, man, watching Alabama play, you know, the last two years, I think we've had some pretty historically good teams. You know, watching Joe Burrow and what LSU did to everybody. And then this year, what Alabama did to, to everybody. I don't think it would have made any difference who Alabama played. Um, they were going to blow somebody out and look good doing it. And But um, the, the playoff, you know, I'd, I'd be curious on your opinion here. The playoff, I don't know how many years in this, this thing we are, seven, eight years? Yes, seven. I think seven. it's been a disappointment. I mean, I, I think it's been a disappointment. Don't you? I mean, we, we rarely get competitive games. Really, rarely get super competitive games. Yeah, I'm – you know, Chisholm, um, you know, there's two different ways of looking at this for me. It, am I getting the number one team in the country proven like a true national champion? I, I can't look back at this this playoff and think that they haven't found the best team in the country every year that they've done it. Uh, sure. And that's weird for me to say that because I think that the way the committee is set up is absolutely just egregious. Like, I, I don't know why you would take a multi-billion dollar industry uh, with all the money surrounding this and leave it up to people that aren't necessarily football people to decide who are the best teams in the nation. It doesn't make any any sense to me. Uh, and I don't mean, and it's not a male female thing or a, uh, sure. a, you know, a, a chief of the staff of the military, whatever. Like, I just need, I need a bunch of guys that have dedicated their life to the game of football to tell me who is getting into this thing. Um, and so I'm happy with the results, Brian, but from an entertainment standpoint, which is the industry we are also in, you're right. It has mm-hmm. been a bit of a disappointment and it almost seems like they're going to have to add more teams to this thing. Because every once in a while, you're going to get Cincinnati, get out of the first round, you know, beat an Ohio State to play Bama. Well, now you've got some sort of, you know, the narrative leading up to a game like that is is different. And, you know, you feel like there's just more energy surrounding because it's just more football. I think that's kind of what we need here is just more football. Yeah, I, uh, I've become to have the opinion that the playoff has actually been bad for college football. Um, because I think what it's done – it may have found the best team, but I think we'd find the best team normally anyways. Um, but what it's done is really consolidate power into a few different places and made it almost impossible for anyone else to be a part of that conversation. And before the playoff, you know, if you're Ohio State or you're Michigan or Oklahoma, you win the Big Ten, you go to the Rose Bowl. Man, we had a great year. We went to the Rose Bowl, and then people voted and whatever. We were third. Uh, but we had a great year. And now with the playoff, so much of it is, if you're not in the playoffs, it's completely irrelevant. And I think that's bad for a sport when you're only looking at four teams playing meaningful football on the grandest stage that there is. And I just look at what they've done to the NCAA tournament in basketball. You know, 64 teams or 65 or whatever get in now. Um, and if you get to the Sweet 16, man, unless you're like North Carolina or Duke, that's a big time year. That's 16 schools that get to talk about having a good year and feel good about themselves. But the way the playoff is set up, 
It's only four teams that do that. And now you're playing a football game at the end of the year that half of your team doesn't even want to be in. And so I think that's been bad for football. And I think, I think they have to figure that out. And I, I do think expanding the playoff would – I don't know that it would get a different result. But what it would do is at least provide more opportunity for other schools. Because at this point, if you want to go play in the playoff, you, you got to go to Bama and you got to go to Clemson and you got to go to Ohio State or Oklahoma. And that's, that's it. And, and if you don't go to those schools, then you got almost no chance of being in the playoff because, you know, even think about Bama. Um, Bama can start next year. They can lose a game, not win their division, not win their conference. And nine out of ten times, they're getting in the playoff anyway. Right. And no one else is getting that benefit of the doubt. And so when I talk about consolidation of power, I mean, Bama's basically in. Clemson's basically in, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And so expanding the playoff, it takes some of the power away just from four schools or, or whatever. And I, and I think it, it, gets, it begins to get a better product. You know what, you, and, and honestly, with that being said, it almost kind of gives Alabama and Clemson a bit of a recruiting advantage, right? Like That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's – and I, they, I hadn't, can, they, I, they can lose and, and they'll get every benefit right. of the doubt no matter what. I hadn't uh, even considered that, you know, and I, I promise you those coaches are talking about that too. You're going to get in. Our pedigree yeah. says we have to get in. Um, right. You know, if we can find a way to just lose one and, and win a conference or even not win a conference. Even um, not win a conference. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, look, more football is definitely going to make things more interesting, and, and it gives us a chance in the media. It gives the fans, like, I, you know what makes me smile? Uh, watching P.J. Fleck in Minnesota find their way into a playoff scenario, right? Because yeah. their fan base is going to be rabid, and the people at the game are going to be ridiculous, and Brian's going to have uh, plenty of B-roll of just wild Minnesota fans. You know who's not wild? Alabama. You know who's not <laughs> wild? Ohio State. Like This is what they do. It's like a business, right? It's like Hunger Games, right. District 1. <laughs> like it is, you know what yeah, I mean? Like it just, it that's, is. that's what it they is. are. Yeah. So, you know, I think when you add a Cincinnati to the mix, it just adds to the, like, I love, it's a spectacle. College football is a spectacle. It's one of the world's greatest right. sports in my opinion. And I think that it gives us more of that spectacle. If we get more games in the playoffs and surely somebody smarter than us is, is saying these exact same things in a big boardroom in a big chair. See, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, I've always said college football is a good old boy network sport. And unless you're sitting at the big boy table, you're pretty much irrelevant. And the schools who are at the big boy table, well, they don't want anybody else to be there. You know, that's why they, they make all the concessions for Bama and, and uh, you know, Oklahoma will always get the benefit. I don't think, I don't think the people who run college football actually want more schools at the big boy table. They kind of like sitting there by themselves. As far as Al- Nick Saban goes, you know, the seventh national title, he, you could argue that he's the greatest coach in college football history. Uh, the, the question is, what's next? And it almost seems like Alabama is just such a machine that I, I don't know that it's – I mean, what, what, what does he have to do ne- – what, what, what does he want out of this thing? I mean, just keep winning national titles? I mean, I don't, it's just a – it's a monster. Yeah, he, he – I think you can make a pretty good argument, actually, that he's like the greatest coach of any sport, of any – person anywhere I mean you know what he's done at every place that he's been but especially at Alabama I mean now at Alabama it's easier to do that because it's it's such a great job and the recruiting advantages and um but man he has mastered that thing and you know he gets his ability to talk 
19-year-olds into becoming absolute robots. I mean robots, machines, is just, it's something like I've never seen. Like, you don't ever turn on an Alabama game or a presser or anything. Like, there are no bakers. Like, there's right. no fun Alabama press conference. Not not ever. None of those guys have any personality whatsoever. I mean, look at Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I know. He's like the perfect Bama guy. Right. You know? Um, but his ability to just totally dominate a sport, um, it's like something I've really never seen before. I mean, um, he, he's certainly the greatest college football coach. And to sit here and think about Bear Bryant, six national titles and, and the things that he did at Alabama. And you go, yeah, he's the second best coach at my school. That is insane. insane. Right. It's insane. insane. I, I will say this before we move to uh, Oklahoma. The, the epitome of Alabama football will always be to me watching A.J. McCarron and their starting center at the time. And I want to say his last name was Barrett or Barrett Jones. That's the kid. Barrett Jones, NFL draft pick. Both those guys played in the mm-hmm. league. They were – probably two minutes away from winning a national championship. They had just beat the ever living hell out of Notre Dame and they missed a call and they got in a fight on the field. Like <laughs> you're, you're two minutes away from winning. The, the game is over. You have decimated all you know, somewhere. Uh, you know, I mean, Notre Dame fans are, are leaving the stadium and those dudes are fighting over a missed call. Like that's Alabama football. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable to watch that guy work. And his work is never done, and he finally will smile. He finally will smile when the confetti comes down, but but not until then. And I just never – Belichick is like that, I guess, a little bit. Uh, I actually think Saban has more personality than Belichick, which is saying something. I mean, you've got to be a stone-cold wall uh, to have more personality, uh, to have less personality than Nick Saban. But um, he's he's unbelievable, man. I mean, he, he really is unbelievable, and he's made Alabama – into just a monster that, you know, not even Clemson can overcome very often. You know, as far as, I mean, the million-dollar question here in Oklahoma is, are the Sooners close? And I would tell you uh, they're closer now than they've been in the last, you know, I mean, since they won it, in my opinion. Uh, The roster looks to be the part Lincoln Riley, clearly an innovator here uh, in college football, one of the most sought-after coaches in the league. Uh, greatest quarterback coach in the country, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Personnel looks like it's pointed in that direction. But you watch Alabama play, and it's like, I, you know, how many how many more guys like Perrion Winfrey does Oklahoma need, you know, on either side of the ball to get to the level that Alabama is? Oh, man, a, a bunch. Right. Because the, the, the thing about it is, is that Alabama can lose Perrion Winfrey and they just bring in another one that's Perry on Winfrey. I mean, you know, they got a bunch of those dudes. But I'll say this for Oklahoma. I think you're right. I think they're close. I think they're as close as they've been in a while. Although, you know, I thought in 2017, that Baker year, when they had Georgia beat, I thought OU might have been the best team in the country. And we all know what happened in the second half of the Rose Bowl. Um, but I, that, team was, that, that team was really close. And that was their best team since 2008 when they had, you know, Bradford going and, and they had a chance to beat Florida. So they've been close a few times in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. But I think I think this next year is the closest they've been in a while. And I think they can at least compete on, on defense. You know, they're not going to be Alabama on defense. They're not going to run that many dudes. But they can compete there that if their offense 
can take a couple of steps forward, now all of a sudden maybe you can find the formula that could beat Bama. Because, you know, the one thing about next year in college football that we know is that OU is, is likely going to have the best quarterback in, in, the in college football. Right. Um, and we don't, we don't know about Alabama, the quarterback situation. And we don't know about Ohio State. We don't know necessarily about Clemson. I mean, we, we think we have a pretty good idea about Clemson, but, you know, there's questions for the other big boys in college football, the teams that are always in the playoffs. They got questions at, at the position that you, you need fewest amount of questions, and, and that's at quarterback. And so, you know, can OU put the formula together with Rattler and all the receivers and get that offensive line going and Kennedy Brooks back, that maybe they can score enough points that their defense can hold up just enough to beat a team like Alabama? You could convince me that the answer was yes at this point. I mean, I, I think they don't have to have the same dudes as Bama on defense. They just have to be able to compete with Bama's offense. Right, right now, we don't know what that's going to look like. Interesting when you look at um, just the luck that goes into winning a national championship, right? That means just a little bit of luck here because oh, yeah. you're 100% right. Like, I, I, when I look at Oklahoma's offense and uh, that offensive line, I would say that this, this offensive line coming back next year, from what I know it to be, probably third or fourth in the last five years, they've had much better offensive lines. Uh, so that, that to me would make it a little interesting to see how far that group can go. Um, you wonder mm-hmm. if they have the guys on campus right now to make that thing work to be, you know, close to them. I mean, you got to have a Joe Moore close to it. You know I mean? You saw what uh, uh, Josh Henson did down, down there at Texas A&M. I mean, you got to have an offensive line. Yep. You're going to compete with the big boys. So if they can get yep. that going, I, I would agree with you, you know, to look at a, a schedule that allows you to play teams that are, are just not dropping 40. You know, I mean, if, if you're telling me Alabama's averaging 32 points a game next year, I would believe that. Just when you tell me they don't have a, a quarterback. You know, and it could be a little bit less than that. I look at Spencer Rattler, that receiving core, uh, and you add Kennedy Brooks to the mix, and holy crap, those dudes are going to drop 40 a game. Yeah. You know, they just are. Who's going to defend them? It's, I mean, and the Big 12 is coming up defensively. And I don't know who's going to defend Oklahoma next year when you consider they got f- four number one receivers and a first-round tight end. <laughs> yeah. And Lincoln Riley can't play. Right. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I thought Oklahoma would play well in the Cotton Bowl, and I thought coming out of it that we'd look at Spencer Rattler as the Heisman Trophy favorite for next season, which is exactly you know what the, these stats and odds say. And, and the likely number one pick in the NFL draft in a year. Um, because he would be eligible for the NFL draft. And, you know, I think that's a real possibility. So, you know, their offense is going to be – it's going to be – I don't know if it'll get to the the super Baker year. You know, I guess that, that goes back to 17. I think that was their best offense. Um, can it get back to that? I don't, I don't know. That's a pretty high bar. But I think their defense is in just a, so much of a better position now to keep them in games where you don't have to score 50. You know, we don't have to play games in the 50s and 60s to win them. We can win games in the 30s, and our offense is good enough to get 40 every game, and that's how we're going to win. And maybe that formula could hold up against Ohio State or Georgia or, or Alabama. I mean, I, and that's, that's their formula. Their offense has to be great. I think their defense is in a better position, but it's not going to be dominant on the level that, that we've seen Clemson and Alabama play defense. But their offense might be dominant. And, and that's how they could win. At least we know this much. Next season is going to be interesting, right? I mean, I think to, to just to have yeah. a true contender um, back in this conference would be pretty legit coming to a season. You know, I, I, I have not 
I picked Oklahoma to win a bowl game in the last five years until this last season. I have not had a true national championship contender conversation about Oklahoma in this last five seasons. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to lie to you. They weren't national championship caliber, but this, in August when we get started, this will be the conversation that we're having. You know, is this a national championship year for the Sooners? And it just looks like it might be there. So I'm excited about that. And then look, Gundy, right? Uh, you know, as much as as much garbage had happened at Oklahoma State this year, at the finish inside the top 25 at 20, that's a good season. Yeah, I mean they rebounded, they rebounded pretty good, and and I would I would say this, I'm, and I I critique Mike as as hard as I think most people in the media do because I have I have an expectation level for Oklahoma State football that I think many people in the media don't have, and that's fine. Um, but I think they rebounded in a pretty good way, and I'll give Mike credit for this. You know, they lost two football games to COVID, and they won eight of them. So you know what they did equates pretty favorably to a ten win season at OSU. And I think the, the credit that I'll give Mike in a lot of ways is if, if we can look back at a, a virtual 10-win season for o- Oklahoma State, and that'd be a big disappointment, shows you how far he's taken that program and the expectation level. And, and I think OSU fans can be excited about a couple of things. And, and one of them is watching Spencer Sanders play quarterback the last couple of games. And you can make excuses for why they beat Baylor by a million and he looked great in that game. But you know, the way he played against Miami, that gun, you know Miami's got athletes out there. And they got guys who can run and, and get after him. And for him to throw four touchdowns and, and limit his mistakes, at least you can see maybe the light bulb coming on for Spencer Sanders. And, you know, I always go back to something that Mike Gundy says. You know, 20 games, 20 games is how we begin to rate college football quarterbacks that it takes 20 games to understand the position and, and learn what you're doing on a really um, grand scale. And Spencer Sanders is creeping up on those 20 games. And if if Oklahoma State can get quarterback play from him, I think their offensive line improved dramatically throughout the course of the season. And I think, you know, hopefully for OSU fans, that can be in a much better position going into this year of college football without some of the injuries and the defections that if they can get their offensive line in a, in a better position and their quarterback play like that, you know they're going to have weapons. I think their defense will be solid enough to keep them in most games. And um, I think they have a chance to be much better than, than probably what people will pick them at the beginning of the season. You know, you, you've got to look at Coach Dickey and the job that he did last year for Oklahoma State. It was exceptional, you know, as much as yeah. the – uh, you know, you're, when you look at the offensive line and you're focusing in on it, it's most likely for the, a negative reason. So I, I look at it and think it could have been way worse considering everything that happened to that unit throughout the course of the season. And like you said, you know, they, they were able to finish strong in a, in a bowl game that offers a, you know, a, a Miami-Dade County product that you know along that defensive front there's going to be size, there's going to be speed and athleticism. And uh, regardless if they're starters or not, like they're, they're going to have some guys that can run. And I thought that group did an excellent job. You know, Sanders does look to be the future there at Oklahoma State. You know, the question I have is, you know, why do you lose uh, a Jelani Woods to Virginia? You know, why does the Wolf kid, who was a captain a year ago, decide he's going to give up his walk, his earned walk-on scholarship and leave Oklahoma State? Like, I'm a little concerned that things aren't as uh, copacetic there on campus as maybe we would like to think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and that could be true. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, guys have different reasons for wanting to go somewhere else. Um, and Jelani Woods is from Georgia. So, you know, maybe he wants to get back to the East Coast. Maybe he's got an opportunity. 
and a lot of those guys would have graduated. And, and so if you've graduated and you have a pretty good idea of what you want your advanced degree to be in, maybe you want to go somewhere else for that. So I don't know. Guys have all kinds of reasons for wanting to go to school for a year somewhere else. Um, because I, I think you say that all around the country and I, and I don't necessarily think that means there are issues, but, um, you know, I, I, I do think they have a chance to be, to be better than what I think most people will, will predict them. I, I don't, they're not going to be, I don't think better than Iowa state. Um, but I think they'll be right there with, you know, TCU, Texas, um, Baylor competing to see who's the third best team in the big 12. Uh, that That's the expectation for me. And if they fall short of that, then I think OSU fans will be frustrated. You know, I'll say this. Mike Gundy has had an exceptional career. There's no doubt, right? Winning his coach is a cool history. But I would say this conference is getting ready to start offering products on a weekly basis that are as good as his, right? And maybe not from a physical standpoint as of yet, but the coaching on the other side is going to be as good as he is or better than he is. When you start looking at Baylor and Kansas State and obviously what's going on there in, in Ames, I, you know, th- there's a lot of good coaching in this league, a lot of good football uh, mm-hmm. in this league that's being played. And, and so I feel like there's an emphasis now more on Mike Gundy than maybe ever before because, I mean, let's be honest, you know, you look at that early start to his career. Once you got past Mac Brown being fired at Texas, that was the worst era of Big 8 slash Big 12 football ever. Everybody sucked, it just seemed like. He had a ton of success during that time, but I would say things are are getting better. Like, I'm looking forward to a Big 12 slate of games each weekend versus who is Oklahoma playing or what disastrous Texas is going to offer us or, you know what I mean, <laughs> or when, can I watch Brandon Whedon throw for 500 yards against this garbage team? Like, it just, you're always looking for moments. Now I'm looking forward to the season again. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you make a good point. I think the coaching is getting better, but I disagree with you some about the worst era of, of uh, a big eight, big 12 football. I mean, I think you can look back at a number of teams that would have been, that were certainly playoff worthy. Um, going back to Mike Gundy's 2011 team. And then you look at the TCU and Baylor in, in 2014. I mean, those, those were two of the best four teams, I think, in, in college football. And, um, but Matt Campbell's coming on. And it, it looks like maybe Texas is going to figure it out. I don't know. Does it matter who Texas hires? Maybe that's just a Texas problem that they're they're always going to kind of ride the roller coaster and go up and down. I, that job over the course of fifty years has proven to be much more unstable, right? Um, for one true. reason or another. Right. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just Texas. And Mac Brown was uniquely suited to go in there and win. Here's a Texas. There's so much politics that goes into it, and glad handing, and and those kinds of things. And and like Mac is perfect for that. Mac is unbelievable. That Mac is is perfect for that, but he knows how to keep those people at a distance. He can go and shake hands and smile and kiss babies and keep influencers away from his football. And I think that's a unique problem at Texas. You know, why is why is Texas and Michigan, who who should be superpowers, why why do they go up and down at times? Well, I think it's because you have influencers come and, and and do things, and, and they're allowed to do it at, that, at those two schools more than they are at, say, Oklahoma, where you know what the power structure is. Joe Castiglione keeps people away. Joe Castiglione lets Bob Stoops do whatever he wants, and Lincoln Riley do whatever he wants, and all they do is win. Right. So I don't know about Texas, um, but looking at, you know, is Dave Miranda going to be a big-time coach at Baylor? I like him. 
Uh, Baylor's a, a good job. You can certainly recruit big-time athletes there. Gary Patterson on the way down, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, you know, I, Mike's done a great job there. And I think if he would rededicate himself to working as hard as he used to, then I think he's still one of the better coaches in the country. So we'll see. I mean, that's a, that's a big if for Mike. I mean, I, and I understand that. You know, why did Bob retire? I don't think Bob didn't want to work as hard. You look at the, the late – the late year OU teams, I think it's pretty easy to see Bob didn't want to work as hard because it's hard to do that, which is makes it more incredible what Saban does year in and year out because he works harder than everybody right? and he doesn't have to. And um, so, you know, if Mike wants to work that hard again, I still think he's one of the better coaches in college football. You know, I, I would agree with you. Uh, Gundy has done a lot with less over the years. There's no question about it. My biggest thing with Mike Gundy now would be just from a recruiting standpoint, you know, where does this thing go from here? I ref- I, I, I would be proud uh, to be on some sort of committee to help recruit Stillwater or sell Stillwater. You spent time there. I spent time. That's a great college yeah. town. It offers the most incredible college experience. And I got Mike Gundy on a podium a couple of years ago during uh, signing day talking about how he's having a hard time getting Oklahoma <laughs> kids to go to Oklahoma State. And I'm my, I'm just bewildered by that. Like, I don't I don't understand what that means. Oklahoma kids just be the backbone of, of Cowboy football. And it, and it no longer... Uh, is the case. And it seems like they got a little bit better in this last year, but man, that's, you know, that's my biggest thing is, you know, where, where's the program at? You got top 25 facilities. You've won a bunch of games in the last decade, but it's just not showing up uh, in the recruiting standpoint in the belly positions. Like Gundy finds stars. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. He finds stars, but when it comes to consistently having, you know, a defensive line that is where they were at this year, consistently having, mm-hmm. you know, you just, just, and getting better throughout the years of the kind of product that you're bringing in, getting guys drafted off the defense. That's an important thing. And he's gotten some of these guys for sure, but with everything they've invested in the Cowboy football, I feel like they should just be a little further ahead than they are. I shouldn't see uh, kids with offer sheets that look like Oklahoma state. And then it says Fordham and William and Mary. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's happened, right? So like, I just, no, don't I, it, it, it has. Um, I, I think this last recruiting cycle, Mike, um, if I if I remember, I think they were I think they were third in the Big Twelve in this early recruiting, and so I think he's made more of an emphasis on that. And I think you're right about the Oklahoma kids. I think those are important, and I think they're doing a better job there. Whether you look at the Malcolm Rodriguez or the Brock Martin or the Brennan Presley or the uh, the Landon Wolf, I mean, I think they've done a better job in Oklahoma. They've made it more of a priority. I think it means more to those guys. Um, so I think he's getting back to doing the things that got his program to the level that he expected it. And he let that fall off a little bit. I think his coaches are doing a better job. And so, you know, we'll see over the next couple of seasons if that recruiting can uptick um, because it's obviously important. And I'll give Mike a lot of credit. They have a philosophy on how to recruit guys, the kinds of guys that they like. And so it's not always a number scenario. They're not going to go out and beat Alabama. But can they get the guys that can fit their system? They just need more high-quality athletes. And, and this year's defense proves that they can go find those guys and, and put them together and be a much more competitive team. I am, I'm sitting here thinking about Oklahoma State football in the next couple of years. And when you look at Spencer Sanders and – what that offensive line did this season. You tell me they get healthy and, you know, stabilized just a little bit, you know, and and the defense shows up with the same type of mentality, at least. Like, you feel like, you know, Jim Knowles has found a way to kind of 
Um, he's kind of reinvent. I mean, a lot like Alex Grinch reinvented that defense. They they had mm-hmm. they they struggled the first five games of his first season, and since then they've been nothing but lights out. Uh, and to me, one of the more organized groups in uh, in college football. They just look like they know what they're doing. Uh, Jim Knowles has got to be one of the more sought after assistants. You know, you feel like a Gundy can stabilize that relationship. Uh, maybe Oklahoma State is one of those top you know fifteen teams that we see emerge over the next three or four seasons. I think it's possible. Um, I, I think that's possible, and, and a lot's going to depend on their offense. And I think what OSU, I, I think what Oklahoma State really needs to figure out, because we've seen over the last couple of years their offense hasn't been quite as explosive, hasn't it just hasn't had quite the same juice as before. And I think they really haven't figured out who they want to be. Do we want to be the Brandon Whedon, Mason Rudolph spread, like power spread, throw the ball down the field team? Or do we want to run Spencer Sanders, um, J.W. Walsh, more the Clint Shelf right. offense, Zach Robinson? I think they've they've tried to mesh those in such a way that it hadn't worked. So I think they've lost their identity, and they need to figure out what their identity is. I mean, I remember, gosh, so it'd be two years ago, the first year. Spencer Sanders is the starting quarterback. They go on the road to Oregon State. Now, obviously, Oregon State's not some big-time team. But they ran an offense, and I go, holy crap, that looks like Oregon out there. Right. You know, they're running power spread, quarterback run. And and what we've seen, it though, is, is Spencer Sanders get hurt some. Right. And so it's taking that away. And then they get gun shy. And then you turn into saying, well, we can't get this guy hurt, so we can't run him. But really – his greatest strength is running football. So if you're not doing what he does best because you're afraid to get, you know, I think they've got to figure out what they want to be on offense before they can return to, to being a dominant unit in college football. And a lot of that's going to be on Casey Dunn to figure out but with his personnel. Does, does his personnel now even make a difference? He needs to figure out what he wants them to be in three years. Right. And, and so once they figure out an identity, then just go be that. They'll be really good at it. Don't go back and forth. You know, I find it interesting that the quarterback situation is what it is also. They've got one of those guys, you know, backing up uh, Sanders at this point. Like, even if if Sanders goes down, you bring in the quarterback that's not even capable of uh, running the football successfully. Um, It it is interesting how it's set up. But, I'm, you know, to me, Spencer Sanders and Dak Prescott have a lot of similarities. I think they both get better as the game goes along when they're running the football. Like, when they're Mm -hmm. playing football, just playing the game that they would normally play, like they did in high school, like they didn't, you know, like that's just – who they are, I think they're better football players. But neither one of them, I mean, Prescott missed the whole season because of his uh, his ankle. And, you know, like you mentioned, Sanders does get hurt. So it's it's almost like they – I understand how both Dallas and the Cowboys, Oklahoma State Cowboys, are. that's a pickle there. Like, what do you do? We have a mobile quarterback that likes to run the football, but he's nicked up all the time. Yeah. If it's me calling the shots, um, I would – I mean, I, I think Spencer Sanders is your best quarterback, I think. And so – you got you got to figure out how to make that work, but I think moving forward, the next five years, um, I think running power spread with a quarterback that can really sling it everywhere. That's been their best team, and that's been Brandon Whedon twice, and and that's been Mason Rudolph a bunch, and those were their best teams over the course of the last fifteen years. So I would run that kind of offense because I think it's it's just so hard to defend. I I totally get the craving to have the quarterback who can run and throw. Like, I totally get that. Like, it's uh, – because it's so hard to defend. But I don't think that's when they've had their best offenses. And they've had good quarterbacks who can do that. 
but I don't think that's been their best offense. And I think um, I would go back to swinging it everywhere or at least spreading people out in that way um, with a quarterback who can, who can really throw it. You know, I think there's guys that uh, – I think when you look at the NFL and where it's trending today, you know, when Kyler Murray looks to be uh, one of the league's best quarterbacks here oh, in the next five yeah. years, right, to everybody who is at the top of this thing seems to have a bit of a run game. And if you go back in the last 15 years and think of, uh, you know, good quarterbacks, I mean, Drew Brees, he, he ran the ball like Russell Wilson did, you know, in his prime. Um, it's the mobility it seems to travel around with, with good quarterbacks even more so in 2021. So you wonder if Oklahoma State doesn't have an advantage as far as looking for that tall, just rangy gunslinger because there's going to be Maybe. less. There's going to be less of them, right? I mean, because every kid is like, I want to get drafted. Well, every kid that wants to get drafted is watching those guys I just mentioned. You know, along with every other quarterback in the league. I mean, this kid that a BYU, you're telling me people say he's the second best quarterback in this draft, right? And he's got sprinter speed. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you just wonder, you know, if there's going to be th- that that gunslinger that's left out a little bit because he doesn't have mobility. Maybe you see Oklahoma State's best quarterback pop up in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you make a good point because just the appetite for guys who can move and run, and, and there's just very few guys. Like, you know, Spencer Rattler is a good runner, and he's also going to be the best passer in the country. <laughs> right. You know, those guys don't really exist um, on, on a grand scale. Um, so I, I think you could be right. I mean, everyone wants a guy who can – who can run it. So maybe this Shane Illingworth style guy is, is your best bet. Cause you know, I made a joke on Twitter uh, about a month ago talking about, I could still beat Brandon Whedon in a, in a race. Like, you know, uh, he came back to me by the way and said, anytime, you know, Santa Fe track, let's go run. I don't <laughs> I think it. anyone wants to watch us, us race, but you know, the point is like he, he couldn't move then he can't move. Now Mason Rudolph can't run. He can't do anything. Um, and those were pretty good offenses. Oklahoma State and so if it were me that's the direction that I would go let's uh let's end this pod with a little NFL chat first Lincoln Riley looks to be once again you know one of the more sought after coaches in the country Brian I I really haven't considered thinking that Lincoln would take an NFL job after watching the COVID-19 season uh it wouldn't surprise me to see a lot of coaches do what Dan Mullen did right because now I mean you're talking about a year where you dealt with a pandemic now you've got, the, you've got a bunch of sons on your campus that you're telling parents that, oh, they're going to be okay. You've got yeah. uh, social justice conversation that I thought he handled brilliantly uh, on yeah. campus. I thought he was – Oklahoma couldn't have been any better in the way they handled that situation. And then you yeah. go into this season, you know, it, and it just seems to be – it was a disaster. Like for college football coaches that did it the right way this year, God bless them because it was probably one of the toughest jobs to do on the planet when you consider all the things they had to deal with every single day. And if, if somebody called Lincoln up and said, Hey man, I just, I just need you to coach football here. Think about that. Think about all the things they had to do this, this year. And then think about someone calling him up and saying, yeah, I'm going to give you more money than you make right now. And I just need you to coach this team that I'm putting together. That's always the draw for the NFL. Right. Um, that's always the draw for the NFL. I, I think you made a great point about Oklahoma and the way that they handled COVID. I think the two schools in the state of Oklahoma, I don't think there's – the model – I think I think Oklahoma State did it as better than anybody in the country, and I think OU handled it pretty well. The fact that you're looking at Mike Gundy at the end of the year says they lost zero starters to COVID one time during the – I mean, that's, that is remarkable. 
So I think the coaches in Oklahoma handled it really well. Um, but you go back to the NFL, I mean, that's, that's always the draw thing. Oh, you just get the coach. That's true. You don't have to go recruit. You don't have to. The, the other thing is, though, is you don't, you don't always get to have better players. And in Oklahoma, if Lincoln Riley, he's always going to have better players than all the, most of the teams that he's playing against. So, you know, that, that's the other thing, too. Um, I think Lincoln one day might look at the NFL, maybe. Um, but how much better job is the Philadelphia Eagles than coaching at Oklahoma? The money, money's not going to be that much different. You know, to OU, I mean, what's he making? Six something million dollars. So what, what's it take to get him out of that job? $10 million. Right. $10 million. Um, and maybe telling him you have springs with your kids. Yeah. No. And I get that. I, and, and so that'll be a decision that he has to make when his, he can sort of see his kids getting older and, and running out of time with them at home, and but I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening until then. Um, the jobs in college football pay so much money that it's not the money anymore that attracts you to the NFL. It's you kind of grew up an NFL guy, or or you grew up in an NFL city, or Lincoln didn't do any of those things. Right. He didn't grow up in an NFL guy. He grew up at Texas Tech, a Mule Shoe High School in Nowhere, Texas. So, Mule Shoe, shout out. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I don't I don't know about Lincoln around the NFL. I think he'd do a good job in the NFL. I think we've seen Cliff Kingsbury be pretty capable. I mean, I, if Kyler Murray doesn't get hurt during this, you know, mid part of the season, we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals probably being in the playoffs and Cliff Kingsbury being their head coach. So I think Lincoln Riley is a better head coach than Cliff Kingsbury, and um, I think he'd win there. But the draw for not getting to pick your own players, right? I don't know. At OU, you're always going to have better players than all the teams that you're playing against. Agreed. And that's agreed. That's 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 pretty good. That's pretty good when you line up with the the better 53. When you've got the best 53 out there, then um, it's a little easier to win football games every week. Brian, thank you so much for your time today, buddy. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, man. Anytime. Yeah, it's good to catch up. You know, once I keep saying this, once this COVID nonsense is over. We got to get together. I miss seeing friends and seeing you and being at football games and seeing you out in other places at the uh, at the soccer stadium. Oh yeah, um, you know <laughs> I miss doing that. So we'll have to get together. But it was fun to catch up, and I'll do it anytime. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Yeah, bud. The Sam Mays podcast is a production of P Squared Media.